Greetings and salutations, pulp listeners. Cody Sullivan here with a wickedly delightful new story to put a capstone on our abridged curbside pulp season. That's right, folks. This episode will serve as the official season finale of the Curbside series, and we will be taking a break from producing regular content while we work diligently on preparing Season 2 of our official Pulp from Beyond the Veil program. There is a lot of work to be done behind the scenes, but I can promise you that in time, we'll be able to offer you the best quality programming we can possibly create. Now, you may be disappointed about the coming lack of pulp content in your life in the months ahead, but never fear, for we are still planning on a few holiday specials in the future, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc., so stay tuned for more information about those programs as we draw closer to the festivities. Finally, we here at Pulp have had the tremendous pleasure of corresponding with another like-minded program based out of Chicago called the Frightmare Theater. They've got loads of stories sure to chill your bones, so if you're looking for more content like ours, please check them out on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your pods. Want a taste to whet your whistle? Allow me to indulge you with this little teaser. Oh god. No god here. Terror awaits you with the Frightmare Theater Podcast, a monthly horror audio drama series from Arcane. Available now wherever you unearth your favorite podcasts. Join us. It'll be a scream. (laughs) Once again, thank you to the Frightmare Theater team for reaching out to us. Check them out, and we wish them well in all their endeavors. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's begin this episode's tale of two friends at a crossroads. This story was written by pulp contributor Morgan Hamilton, who lent her voice to the Owl Redo episode last month. So thank you, Morgan, for contributing to our program. This story's called Dead Letters Office. On the nights that I can't sleep, and there are still more than a few of those, I think about the summer after I finished high school and the thousand and one ways that things might have veered in another direction. What might have happened if I kept my grades up enough to get a full ride to Haverford, if I had gotten my shit together early enough to score the internship at the mid-tier law firm in the city, if I had condescended to take the job shoveling greasy popcorn into the hands of greasy teenagers at the local cinema. Dear Hank, this needs to be our last exchange. What we've had has been wonderful, but John knows he's threatening to take the children to his mother's. I'm so sorry. I want you to keep the pictures we took to remember me and our best times. Whoa, 
Hey now, uh, those are really nice for someone's mom. Hey, come on, dude, we're not supposed to read the- Whoa. My senior year was a curious mix of disaffected inertia and the restless need to cast off the bland suburban youth that had come to feel so heavy and oppressive. In hindsight, I can't say that I had much direction, but I did have a plan. Get a job where I didn't have to think too hard, save enough scratch for a car and fall tuition. You may not believe it now, but you could do that in 1982. Evenings getting high and maybe convincing Stacy Hollis to break into the community pool for a late night skinny dip. And then, in the fall, pre-law in Pennsylvania. I didn't particularly care about the law or Pennsylvania, but becoming a lawyer seemed my most likely entry into a higher tax bracket. This in turn seemed to be the surest way to avoid becoming my father, who was spending too many nights emptying too many beer bottles with whom I was no longer getting along. It was actually one of my dad's drinking buddies who pointed me to the post office when I failed to secure a summer gig before the best ones were taken. I emphatically rejected the idea at first. The polyester uniform and the prospect of someone's boxer taking a bite out of my ass didn't exactly appeal to me. Check it out, this chick, I think she's his wife. She sent a page from one of those ladies underwear magazines with circles around the ones she wants him to buy. With love, from Mason. Don't think that's his wife, all. What? Oh, <laughs> what do you know? Next. But the job wasn't mail delivery. The basement of the post office is home to the dead letters department, where the detritus of the U.S. mailing system ends up. Cart after cart, brimming with letters, long columns of shelving on which dust-covered packages were stacked and leaned one against the other. All the undeliverable postage in the state eventually flows to that basement. Postcards from summer towns, kids' letters to Santa, notices from municipal offices to derelict taxpayers, lots of love letters. If I'm being honest, it was kind of fun if voyeuristic, reveling in the sad secret lives of total strangers before destroying them in the big, brooding furnace that once warmed the entire building. It wasn't exactly riveting work, but it was a welcome alternative to the concession stands at the AMC, and the pay was decent. Birthday card for Jeremy. Aw, oh, thanks, Grandma. Nice. We'll go 50-50 on that tenor? Sure, man. Of course. We'll split any cash. Actually, the pay was more than decent when you consider what we were skimming from the U.S. Treasury. You'd be amazed what's been circulating through the post office, some of it for decades. In 1948, the Cincinnati office recovered a Rembrandt mailed out of Poland in advance of the war. Just a sketch, but worth millions. In 1954, Fort Worth opened up a hat box filled with government bonds. We never did find any lost masterpieces or jars of diamonds. What we did encounter was a lot of money. Gifts from absent parents, wages sent to families that had moved, reimbursements that would never reach the person owed. Because it's a federal crime to destroy currency, we were supposed to log what we found and send it upstairs to the postmaster. He checked our pockets at the end of the day, but not our shoes. It didn't take long to realize we could smuggle the pilfered cash out in our sneakers. We started small at first, but 
I'd guess we were probably pocketing 70% of what we found by the end of that first week. This gig is the tits. Well, it beats washing cars at the suds and sprays, anyway. You didn't have to tag along for this. And leave you to this subterranean glamour? Nah, dude. I'll always be along for the ride. Hey, heads up! Hey, Jesus, I'll watch it. That thing's sharp. Sorry, dude. My bad. I thought you had better reflexes than that. What can I tell you about Ollie Whitaker? There are some people who like to push as far as they can, and then when they get there, push a little farther. We'd been friends, close friends, since his family moved to town in second grade. But, to be honest, I don't know if that was by choice or by the sheer happenstance of living two houses away from one another on a block with no other children. In every memory, in a hundred Kodak pictures, there's Ollie. But that summer, he began to grate on my nerves. I think there's a time, for most of us, when we're just ready to shed layers, to shed people, like a skin we're done with. Maybe, down the road, you can find your way back to the space where that friendship existed. Sometimes it's just a parting of ways. Ollie never seemed to get the hint. Maybe it was a product of his addictive personality, which would eventually lead him into the bottle and an on-again, off-again affair with harder substances. But the closer we got to our impending adulthoods, the harder he seemed to cling to the habits and the patterns of childhood. That summer, Ollie's latest addiction was Jessica Sanchez, a girl who was, in my opinion, more trouble than she was worth. Looks-wise, he was punching above his weight, but Jessica liked attention. Lots of it, and from many directions. Woman of my dreams. Wet dreams, anyways. Hey, that's my future wife you're talking about. If I thought their relationship would occupy more of Ollie's time, I was wrong. Jessica worked at the local diner, from which she exiled Ollie on the grounds that his presence brought down her tips. So, while she served chicken fried steak to attentive male customers, he shoehorned his way into splitting my job at the post office. And he talked. God, did he talk. And it's not that I won't go see it, but if you're talking best sci-fi, there's no way anything's gonna top Alien. That's probably, like, the most plausible reality for the future of space travel. But it'll probably be more like The Thing, where some mutant bacteria just jacks our brains and makes us annihilate each other. But still, I mean, the scene where that thing bursts out of John Hurt's chest like... So fucking rad. Oh man, the camera work too. It's it's like, you, you gotta feel bad for Ridley Scott. Cause when you peak that early, everything after it is gonna feel, I don't know, redundant and sad. Plus the main character is Harrison Ford. Don't get me wrong, he's great as Han Solo, but like, not a lot of range. I don't even know why girls like that guy. He's like 50. Oh, dude, this one, it's for you. What? <laughs> Come on, get out of here. No, man. I mean, that's your name. Thomas Cavanaugh. Weird. No address, no return address either, and no stamp. Whatever. I'm sure it's someone else. I mean, it's spelled the weird way yours is. Don't be stupid. That's too much of a coincidence. I'm sure it's a different... Hey, what the hell, man? 
What, you want to open it? I thought it was a different Tom Cavanaugh. Give it here. Is this a dumb joke, Ollie? Did you put this here? No, what? Why? What's it say? That's lame, dude. I mean, I don't even get the punchline. Come on, tell me what it says. Simon Cavanaugh and Sheila Hofstetter, August 26th, 1982. Simon? Like your, like your dad, Simon? What does that even mean? Let me see. Who the hell is Sheila Hofstetter? I have no idea. I've never heard of her. Tom, I swear, I didn't do this. Look, it's typewritten. Where would I even find a typewriter? Ollie, you promise this isn't some dumb gag? Uh, I think I could do a little bit better than that. You're right, it's stupid. Didn't you say one of your dad's friends got you this job? Maybe this is some weird joke. I mean, his buddies could really glug glug, you know? Yeah, maybe. I'll ask him about it tonight. Whatever, it's... Just a little messed up. That conversation never happened, though. By the time I got home that evening, there were two suitcases in the open trunk of my father's Chevrolet, and the neighbors were standing on their stoops listening to my parents shout at each other. Sheila Hofstetter, it turned out, answered the phones at the dealership where my old man worked. She was five years my senior. My dad had planned to wait until I was at college, but... The baby was due at the end of August. There was no ceremony, just a quick divorce and an even quicker trip to the town clerk's office. When Angela was born, she already had a spray of freckles across her forehead like mine. But that was later. That night, I sat on the steps and listened to the dissolution of my childhood and to my mother's tearful pleas as Simon left he paused to drop a hesitant, awkward hand on my shoulder, gave a curt nod, got in his car, and backed down the driveway. Wow, that's just... Wow, dude. That's heavy. I'm... Uh, sorry. Whatever. Fuck him. I guess maybe you were right. Maybe that note was from my dad's friend. Like, as a heads up. Oh, I, um, I almost don't want to show you this. Show me what? Uh, it was here this morning when you came in. You got another one. Another letter. What? Wait, how? Where was it? Just on the top of the pile there. I, I swear, I didn't see it there yesterday. It's addressed to you, same as the last. Throw it in the stove. Hang on, you want to burn it? You don't want to know what it says? And what, find out my mother deals blow? Or, or maybe it's gonna tell me my grandmother is dead. Well, to be fair, your grandma is crazy old. Ollie, whatever it is, he's had his fun. This is stupid. Would you like to find out your parents are splitting like that? Or that your dad knocked up a girl young enough to be your sister? I mean, I doubt my dad could. I mean, he's got a really bad back and psoriasis. He's I'm kind of surprised my mom stuck it out with him this long, to be honest. Ollie. Fine, but, uh, can I open it? Fine. Knock yourself out. I just don't want to know. Cool, cool. Okay. Huh? You really don't want to know what it says? No. 
I don't want to know what the creepy voyeur ghost letter says, Ollie. I want to burn a bunch of old crap, pocket some kid's birthday money, and get through this shitty day. Think you can let me do that, man? Okay, fine. Got it. Message received. Good. Great. Fine. I would be lying if I said I didn't spend the whole morning thinking about what was written in that second letter. It felt like it was glowing red hot in the pocket of Ollie's jeans. But I'm nothing if not stubborn, and there was a lot on my mind that day. Ollie was unusually compliant, and we made a lot of headway through the day's work. I logged while he sliced open letter after letter, package after package. At the end of the shift, he didn't pester me to hang out as he usually would, but waved goodbye and took off on foot. I drove my mom's station wagon to a semi-abandoned strip mall and smoked until the hot lump in my throat settled into a cold weight in my gut. The next morning, Ollie was there before me, and I could practically feel the adrenaline buzzing off of him. The moment I walked in the door, he shoved the morning's newspaper in my face. Page four, you gotta see this, man. See what? Uh, Garden supply store acquired by National Chain. What? No, no, above that. Look, right here, the small box. Toddler saved by local teen. Okay, so what am I looking at? What? Wait, is that you holding that kid? You know it. Crazy shot, huh? There was a guy photographing houses or something, and he turned around just when I grabbed her. I thought we were toast when that truck went by. Mrs. Carson claims that she turned away for just a moment when little Julie stepped off the curb to retrieve her ball, which had rolled into the street and... Wait, this says this was at the bus stop on 16th. What were you doing across town? That's what I wanted to tell you. It was the letter. I know you said you didn't want to know, man, but the letter told me to be there at that bus vestibule for the 6 o'clock bus. Well, it told you to be there. So I'm standing there, waiting for a few minutes, and I notice this little girl, she's maybe three, wandering away from her mom to follow this ball she's dropped. And I look, and I see the lights turned, and this whole line of cars, they probably can't even see her, and I just, I don't know, dude, I, I just stepped in the middle of the road with her, and then into the middle to the yellow line and and the cars were buzzing us on both sides and this kid she's screaming not because she's scared but because her ball goes under this truck's wheel and it's just bam gone ollie dude that's you're trying to tell me that a magic letter sent you to stand at the right place at exactly the right time to keep a little girl from becoming roadkill that's insane is it i mean how else would you explain it coincidence. Really, dude? That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? One day the letter knows about your dad, and the next it knows that someone needs to be at that bus stop. Tom, that girl's mom, she said they weren't even supposed to be there yesterday. She just ran out to get cough syrup for... Dude, no. I'm not buying it. It's just... The first one was just someone messing with me. This is just chance. Just dumb luck. Come on, man. You don't really believe that. I mean... Not that long ago, you would have been so into this. Remember how we used to sneak out to the cemetery to try and catch a ghost? We got lost in the woods that one time looking for a Sasquatch? You used to love all this creepy shit as much as me. Where's your sense of curiosity? 
I don't know all. I guess maybe I left it all behind with the comic books and Dungeons and Dragons crap we used to play with. You gotta grow up, man. It's just stupid. Julie Carson doesn't think it's stupid. Her mom doesn't. This is huge. Bigger than us, maybe. What if there's a point when you look back and realize that this is the, I don't know, the most important, most significant thing that has ever happened to you and you just let it slide by? I hope to God this isn't the most significant thing to ever happen to me. I'm doing my best to make sure that it isn't. And maybe you should do the same. What's that supposed to mean? <sighs> Nothing. Look, if you want to waste your time running errands for some practical joker, be my guest. Fine. But maybe I'm not the one wasting my time. That was about when the friction between Ollie and I became a proper rift, each day tearing a little wider. Ollie was frustrated that I wasn't as excited as he was by what he saw as the grand adventure of our lives. And I was angry. Angry about my home life, angry about still being stuck in this town, and worried about how I was going to pay for more than one term of college. I guess I... I guess I poured a lot of that resentment into Ollie and his enthusiasm. The letters came erratically after that, sometimes every few days, sometimes nothing for weeks. They arrived without notice, always buried in the day's pile or sitting unblemished on a dust-covered shelf, always addressed to me. I never opened them, just handed them over to Ollie. They were never long, just a line or two often just instructions for where to go and when. There never seemed to be a pattern for what he would find when he got there. Sometimes the letters would portend good things, others not so much. In June, one took him to a bodega that was in the middle of an armed robbery. He lost his wallet to that little excursion. In July, he and Jessica stood out until dawn in an abandoned lot. In the end, all that happened was a meteor shower that wasn't supposed to be visible this far north. One letter took him to a gated community where he broke into the garden behind a brick mansion and, as instructed, stuck his hand into an ornamental koi pond. I'll give him credit for balls if not brains. Just as a monster carp closed its mouth on his finger, out of the back door of the house emerged an old woman screaming at him. She probably would have called the cops then and there if Ollie hadn't pulled his hand up to reveal a ring, massive diamond shining on his finger. The lady began to weep. She had thought her wedding ring lost, years ago, just after the death of her beloved husband. I think she made Ollie tea in a sandwich. I don't know when we started referring to them as the letters and not the letter writer, we were never sure how they came to be in the basement, and over time, it seemed impossible to imagine the human hand responsible for their appearance. Ollie tried to figure it out, of course. He placed tape across the threshold, cups of water just inside the doorway, dental floss tied from wall to wall that would be intact the next morning. He even placed flour around the AC unit in the basement's sole window, just in case our mysterious mail carrier was finding his way in that way. He made an unholy mess and had us coughing up doughy paste for hours. 
I drew a line when Ollie suggested that we stay in the basement overnight to try and catch the intruder. I was worried that any strange behavior would draw our boss's attention to the money we were skimming. By then, I was paying bills at the house that my father seemed to have forgotten, and my mother was too despondent to notice. Every dollar mattered. By August, the stress was getting to me, and I wasn't sleeping much. I suspect Ollie wasn't either, though, for different reasons. He'd taken to journaling his adventures with an anthropologist's fervor and often arrived at work with glassy, manic eyes. He'd prattle on about his latest escapade and fire off questions and theories trying to hammer out the rules and pin down the patterns of the letters, as though discovering these bring him closer to understanding their ultimate purpose. Okay, so it looks like just over half of these arrived on Monday, though I'm willing to accept that some of those may have come here on a weekend, while we were out. Three came on a Tuesday, two on a Wednesday, three on a Thursday, and just one on Friday. It's not clear if there's a pattern to whatever the good ones and the bad ones come on certain days, except that the ones that arrived on Thursdays have all been negative. Though I'm willing to put the planetarium one in the good letter column because I did get a free hamburger out of it. I don't know, that one's a little ambiguous. Jesus, it's hot. Is that AC even working today? But maybe, maybe, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe it's not about the day it falls on. Well, not the weekday, but like the day of the month. Maybe we should look at whether each letter came at the beginning, the middle, or the, the end of the month. Or, or maybe it has something to do with what phase the moon was in. Oh, shit. Do you, do you think we could be looking at some sort of like astrological calendar? I think you should help me burn this stuff so we can shut off this damn furnace before we both get heat stroke. Oh, right, sure, but but what if it has something to do with, like, how the planets are lining up? Jess's Graham is really into that stuff, and she says... Ollie, seriously, I don't give a damn what she says. You've got a really piss-poor attitude these days, you know that? What's your deal, man? You used to be into this kind of thing, or at least fun to hang with. Now it's like you're hell-bent on being miserable all the time. Like, I get your family life is crap right now, but like... Hey, how about you don't bring my family into this? Into what? What is this? What exactly is your problem these days? Maybe my problem is you and this stupid game you're playing. Some lunatic is leaving me weird notes. You decide to play Nancy Drew all over town. Maybe it's just annoying to listen to your constant fucking stream of conscious about your dumb field trips. Maybe you wouldn't think it was dumb if you actually came with me. Seriously, something big and crazy is happening. It's, it's happening to you. And you're too chicken shit to even give it a chance. You spend all this time complaining about how this town's too small for you, but then when you get the chance at something new, you just stick your head in the sand and make it even smaller. You want me to give one of these dumb things a chance? Fine. This one was here this morning. He's taking more of the money. What? He's taking more of the money. Dude, no, that's not... Not true? You're the one who said these letters don't lie. Uh, how, how much are we talking here all? Listen, Tom, I can explain. How much? Look, it's just... Jessica's a classy girl. It's expensive sometimes to keep up with Damn her. Damn it, Ollie. I need that cash. You know how expensive tuition is? And books and shit like that? So what? So you flip some burgers or something at the cafeteria. You'll make it work. At least you're getting out of here. It's not my fault you screwed around and now you're a, a townie. 
Hey, I've got plans too. Oh, what? Chasing ghosts and blowing every paycheck on gold diggers like Jessica? Hey, watch your mouth. Oh, like you get to be offended. You're supposed to be my friend, and here you are skimming off the top. For money we're not even supposed to have. Ever hear the phrase, no honor among thieves? Well, we're the thieves. I swear to God, I could deck you right now. Hey, go ahead and take your shot if you think. It fluttered down between us, white and limp like a dead moth. If it made any noise, it was lost over the roar of the furnace and the hacking cough of the AC. For a moment, we just looked at it, then at each other. I didn't look up to see where the letter had come from, because it didn't come from anywhere. Or at least, not anywhere I wanted to know about. Then Ollie leaned over and picked it up. A hard, hot lump swelled in my chest. I think, somehow, I already knew. It's for me. Ollie, don't... don't open it. That's my name. Oliver Whitaker. This one's mine. Just put it in the fire, please. Oh. Is it true? You and Jess? Just let me explain. Explain that you screwed my girlfriend, or... Or are you still screwing my girlfriend? It was just the one time, just that weekend you were out of town this spring. Look, man, it was a total mistake. We were drunk, and it didn't mean anything. It means something to me. My best friend and my girl. You're the only two people in the world I care about. No honor among thieves, huh? Ollie, I'm sorry. I didn't- I don't want to hear another word of bullshit out of your lying mouth. You're worthless like your old man, and no college degree will ever change that. Hey, fuck you. I'm trying to apologize. Maybe I did you a favor, man. You know what you got ahead of you with a girl like Jessica? You've got a lifetime stuck in this hellhole with a shit job and a pack of kids that probably aren't even yours. I said shut the fuck up! Oh, God! In the end, the whole building went up in flames. Those old structures are basically kindling. All of those letters and packages, the missives to the dead and unreachable, reduced to ashes and smoke in the space of an hour. They got to me through the window after they kicked in the AC unit. I was badly burned when they pulled me out. Scars still pucker along the length of my right arm and shoulder today. The paramedics kept my heart going until they could get my lungs working again. I overheard one of them declare how lucky I was, something my doctors would repeat daily for months. Ironically, even though Ollie and I never talked again, our stories lined up, or at least came close enough to throw off suspicion. I passed out, falling on the penknife, which explained how it came to be lodged between my ribs, just nicking my spleen. I must have grabbed for a mail cart on my way down, overturning it too close to the furnace. Ollie couldn't drag me out, so he ran to get help. I spent the better part of two months in the hospital, surrounded by flowers and cards from friends and well-wishers. I think... I think Jessica sent me a teddy bear. I didn't read any of the letters but none of them were from Ollie, 
and none of them, thank God, were typewritten. When I came out, the term had already started, and I still had a long recovery ahead of me. Haverford held my place for a year while I sat around my mother's house, reading mindless books and watching bad TV. In the summer, I left for Pennsylvania early to start a work-study at the college library. I liked the quiet monotony of sorting and reshelving. The building had no basement. Ollie was already gone by the time the doctors let me go home, left to work for his uncle on a dairy farm in Ohio, according to his mother, who buried me in hugs and baked goods. If Ollie had told her of our falling out, she was incredibly good at playing dumb. I think it was probably on the farm that he started drinking in earnest. That spiraled into other vices. Can't say I entirely blame him. I spent a lot of that first winter contemplating the pros and cons of sobriety, too. I spent one summer doing pre-law before switching my major to history. I like the field. It's solid, quiet, known. You don't get a big paycheck for teaching history to undergraduates, but you also don't get a lot of excitement. I'd come home from time to time, mostly for holidays or to introduce my parents to girls I was seeing. The last time was for Angela's high school graduation about six years ago. Today we buried my mother, lung cancer. A short fight that she never really stood a chance of winning. There were a lot of old faces in the crowd, strewn amid her friends and from book clubs and gardening clubs and reading clubs and even a couple old flames. My father was there with his new wife, who is at least old enough to have a few gray hairs on her pretty head. He cried harder than I've ever seen an adult do in public. When the casket was lowered and the priest dismissed us, I saw Ollie towards the back of the crowd, hands stuffed into the pockets of a threadbare blazer. He looked clean, but rough around the edges. The drugs and booze have aged him, or perhaps it was getting sober that did that. Rehab is not for the faint of heart. He caught my eye and nodded just once before walking away. I didn't see him at the reception, but the condolences and hugging and trays of finger sandwiches kept me pretty occupied. It's dark now, in my mother's kitchen. The only light, a string of sodium yellow from the neighbor's back patio. There is a letter sitting in front of me at the kitchen table, exactly where I found it this morning. There's no postage, no return address, just my name in clear, typewritten script. Soon I will open it, somewhere across town, maybe in the motel on Route 7. I'm pretty sure Ollie has a similar letter in front of him. I wonder if he's already opened his. There's a strange feeling settling on my shoulders. Something like an old coat. Heavy, but familiar. It feels like I'm racing towards the conclusion, or maybe the beginning, of something large, significant, and bigger than me.